probably wondering, who was that that was singing? That's Alexa Walthers. Yeah, awesome. I know she doesn't want any praise given to her, and it all goes to the Lord, but my goodness, that's talent, and that's that's beautiful, so I'm grateful for that. All right, so I've already heard some people say, okay, we've had a lot of great cars out here, but this is my favorite. So anybody else with that Chevy truck this morning? Yeah. I won't ask for a competition between Chevy truck and a Ford Mustang. We won't do that, because I... Wow, man, no reaction on that even. Okay. So, hey, big hand for Carl Large for finding us some vehicles this whole series. We've had some great ones out here. And uh, to see some of these older cars restored to their former glory, you know, to see them, to see a truck like this that you know if you, if you just saw it in its natural state today, you would see one that was rusted and broken down and not running so well and parts would have gotten old and, you know, kind of like we all feel sometimes, right? Those of us that are older, at least. But God is in the business of restoring. And he can take what has been run down. He can take what has been worn out. He can take a vision that has been lost and restore it to an even greater glory. You see, for us, There was a glory that man was created to enjoy. In the garden, Adam and Eve enjoyed the glory of God. But sin robbed them of that glory. Sin in your life and my life has robbed the glory from us. Romans says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have not experienced the glory that we were intended to live with because of what sin has done in us and to us, right? So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have life, have it more abundant, might be forgiven, might be restored, might be redeemed, might be put to a place of even greater glory than we had before, amen, so that we might enjoy the fullness of him. So we might have the inheritance that's not just ours, but share in the inheritance that actually is his. So we might enjoy a glory that's not just ours, but we share in the glory that actually is from him. We have been restored if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you are being remade. Amen? You are having part by part in your life restored to a greater glory than you've ever experienced before. We've been in the process of following the man Moses in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and we've seen how God took him after he had blown it. He lost his cool, lost his temper, no self-control, killed a man, found himself on the backside of a desert living far less than he was ever intended to live. For 40 years he lives there, not at all the reigning son that he had been intended to be. But God does a work there. God meets him there on the backside of the desert and he restores him. He meets him at a burning bush and he redeems him. He cleanses him and he calls him and he sends him right back into Egypt to set his people free. And Moses wrestles with the confidence and he wrestles with, can I really do this? And he wrestles with, has God really spoken to me? And he wrestles with all the things that you and I wrestle with sometimes. Is God really speaking to me? Is that God speaking to me? Has he called me to do that? Has he not called me to do that? I don't know how I could ever do that. All those things that we wrestle with, Moses just typifies and symbolized all of them for us. And we saw those in his life, and God led him to places that he thought he could never get to. He walks back into Egypt, and he confronts Pharaoh, and he says, you let my people go. And God 
is with him in the whole process. God is working. God brings plagues upon the land, and Pharaoh finally relents, and Moses becomes the leader that leads his people out where they had been in bondage, where they'd been slaves. For generations, that's all they've known is slavery. And Moses leads them out, and they walk out of Egypt. And then he begins a journey, and God takes them through a desert, and he takes them through a dead end, and he takes them into some danger, and he takes them right up against the Red Sea. And that's where we've been following all these many weeks. And we come to a spot today, you know, we we left the people of Israel last week. They had entered the Red Sea, and we left them there in the middle of it. They're there, yeah, in our story at least. So that's where we were last week, previously. We followed the people of God. They come up against the Red Sea, and God has a purpose for them. We talked about this idea that we think sometimes when we end up at our dead end, when we end up at our place of danger, when we end up in the desert and it's dry, we think, well, I'm out of answers. I have no hope. I somehow got myself here, and I don't know what to do. But God had a purpose for his people. He led them to the Red Sea. He led them to the place of dead end because he had something big he was going to do. Massive that he was going to do. They didn't understand it. They didn't know it. And they feared and they complained. But God said, trust me. And Moses said, stand still, people, and see the salvation of God. He is going to deliver you. That's where we were. Moses lifts up his staff over the sea, and the waters part, and they start down into it. And this is where our story picks up today. So turn your Bibles to Exodus 14. Turn your Bible app if you've got that. Exodus 14, verse 22 is where we're starting today. It says this in verse 22. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left The sea, the Red Sea, was their sea of impossibility. It was that impossible thing that they thought they could never make it through. And God splits it. And they walk through not getting caught up in the muck and the mire that's in the middle of their impossibility. Mm. Let me say that one more time. They did not get caught up in the muck and the mire of their impossibility. God made a dry path for them through their impossibility. This is what God does. He takes you right into what you think is impossible, not so that you'll go, how am I ever going to get out of here? But he makes a path and it's dry ground. And they're like, whoa, we're walking right through the middle of our impossibility. And the waters are held back on the right hand and on the left. The passage goes on. The story gets good. And here's what it says next. It says, And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. What? God, we waited. We came to this spot. You said you were going to deliver us. And you had Moses lift his staff and the waters parted. And we go in and we think, woohoo, God's delivered us. And we're going into the sea. We're in the middle of it all. And we turn around and they're coming after us. <laughs> Have you ever been chased by your voices of fear and threat and doubt and guilt right up into the middle of your problems? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. 
you pray and you wait and you get to your situation and finally you say, okay, God, I think I see what you're doing here. I'm going to trust you. And you take your step and you walk out into the middle of your impossibility. You do that thing that you thought you could never do. You trust God and you step out into it and the voices continue. They keep saying, what do you think you're doing? Hey, you're not going to survive this. What do you think you're doing? This is not going to work. You better run. We're going to come after you. We're going to get you. You're going to fail. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's what was happening to them. You see, Pharaoh and all his armies represented their past, their slavery, and the threats that were pursuing them. They were chasing them in order to bring them back and make them slaves, right up into the midst of their problems. Everything that once held them captive was pursuing them. Everything that once held them in bondage was pursuing them. You try to walk with the Lord, and you get up in the middle of following and obeying him, and you find that there's still threats following you. This brings us to our first big point today. Make a note, take a picture of the screen, whatever you want to do. Here you go. Your obedience to God will draw the attention of the enemy. It happens. You decide, you choose that you're going to walk with God. You choose that you're going to do that thing that seems so difficult, so impossible. And the minute you do, the minute you take that step of faith, you are going to draw the enemy's attention. You see, the enemy isn't really too interested in the person who's just caught up in all of his sins. They're off just taking care of themselves and just living for themselves. The enemy doesn't pay attention to that. The enemy is not too interested in the person who's caught up in all their fears and doubts. They're kind of enslaved anyway. The enemy is very concerned, however, with the one who will say, I am not going to be a slave any longer. I am not going to follow what I've been following. I'm going to walk in obedience to my God. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to step out. I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to trust him with my life. I'm going to believe everything that he says. When you take those kind of stands, the enemy gets very interested in you all of a sudden. And you'll face some struggles even while you're walking in your obedience. Let's watch what happens. So it's not the end of the story. It says, now it came to pass in the morning watch. In other words, after all night had gone on in the morning watch, it says that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. Now, I'm just walking this story through verse at a time. I'm not leaving anything out on this part here. It's just straight story. The children of Israel are walking through the sea. Pharaoh and his armies are pursuing them. And the children of Israel are in the midst of it. Pharaoh and his armies are coming down into it. You know, it's interesting. There's no clear uh, answer or evidence as to exactly where they crossed the Red Sea. There are some places that the Red Sea is 200 miles across. It's a long way. There's some other places where it's 18 miles across. There are some places where it's thousands of feet deep. There are some places where it's only hundreds of feet deep. So pick a spot. It's still a miracle. 
that God is leading his people through. There wasn't just a magic bridge that just rose up. It's clear from the passage that they went down into it because the waters rise up like a wall on either side. Right? right? And, and they're doing this. And what's fascinating to me is what this, this verse here describes. It says that in the morning, so it's been nighttime, it says that the Lord looked down. Now, this is New King James language, and I don't want to go into a lot of uh, original text. Uh, Mr. Seif could do some of that for us here in this passage and give us a lot of insight, I bet. But from what I've read, the more accurate meaning is not that he looked down, but he actually looks through. So watch this. It says that the Lord looked through, we'll say, at the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and troubled the army of the Egyptians. You see, God had promised that he would lead his people with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. Earlier in the passage, one of the verses that we really didn't spend a lot of time on in the series, it says that this pillar of fire moved from in front to behind them. And it was there between them and the Egyptians. And it was the glory of God, this fire and this cloud. And they are there as protection between Pharaoh's army and God's people. And it says that the Lord looked through it to see the Egyptians. If he looked through the fire to see the Egyptians, where was he? He was with them. He was in the midst of the sea where they were looking through the fire and cloud to where the Egyptians were. You see, you might think I'm going through the midst of my sea of impossibility and I've still got Pharaoh's army chasing me and I'm hearing all the threats and the lies and the fears and and everything that's trying to enslave me is pulling at me and I think sometimes, God, where are you? And he says, I'm right here in the middle of it with you because I can look back through my glory and see them. Which brings us to our second big point here this morning. Your obedience to God will always draw his attention and protection. It'll draw the enemy's attention, but it draws God's attention as well. He loves to hear a heart that says, God, I see this, but I trust you. I'm not going to look at my situation and crater in it. I'm going to listen to you and walk through it. And I'm going to trust you because... The heart of God is drawn to a heart like that. He, he rushes to the side of a person like that. You can look through the book of Psalms and book of Proverbs, and you'll find several passages that talk about God being uh, a shield to those who trust him, a shield to those who walk uprightly. So God is drawn to the heart that says, God, I will trust you more than I trust myself in this situation. And God rushes to the side of that person and becomes a shield to them. He surrounds them. He protects them in ways you might not even see or realize. 
Because see, the, the, the children of Israel, they're in the midst of the sea, and all of a sudden now, all they can see is the glory of God. They're just resting and walking now. They hear a faint sound of Pharaoh's army, but the glory of God is protecting them at this point. God has come and becomes a shield. And you decide to trust God with whatever air in your life you want to name this morning. I promise you, I promise you that when you say, God, I will trust you, he will rush to your side and he will surround you with his love. He'll protect you in that place. He will be the shield to protect you. Amen. Let's continue on. It says, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us free, sorry, flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So again, children of Israel walking through on dry ground. Egyptians come in and something strange starts happening to them. Their chariot wheels start falling off. And they don't know why. They're just falling off. I just imagine they're getting stuck in some rocks. They're getting stuck in some mud. You see, they don't have dry ground to walk through on. The Lord provides that for his people. And you start walking in obedience to him, he'll make a dry path for you that he won't make for anybody else. Amen? And those who pursue you will find themselves stuck and falling down and their wheels falling off when they're trying to pursue you. That's what it says here. And they panic in that moment. They're like, oh, no, God must be protecting them. God must be for them. This God really is real. You'd think they would know that by now. They'd seen so much that he had done. He makes their wheels fall off. Now, let's follow the story here. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots, and on their horsemen. So the children of Israel make it all the way through. They are finished. They are out. One million plus strong, they walk out, and they are finished. They are done with whatever it was, 18 miles, 20 miles, whatever it was. They're finished. They walk out on the other side, and God says, Moses, I want you to lift your rod up again. The same rod that that split the waters is about to close the waters. You're going to trust me, Moses. Do what I say. You might think it's weird. You might think, how can it be? But do it. It says, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians. The passage goes on. It says, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all of the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. It is exactly what God had promised. He said, I'm going to make it so that not one of these who pursue you, you will ever see again. And God did it. Moses lifted his staff. The waters came back together. And it drowned every one of those who were pursuing the children of Israel. God had a purpose all along. Let's try to make some points here and make this practical. Some powerful stuff happening in this passage. Watch this. 
Here's our big point. God has designed your sea of impossibility as the place he will crush the enemy. Now, you're going to think about that a little bit, and let's chew on this. Let's make this practical. We haven't come here this morning just to sit through some religious talk. Amen? Amen. We're not here this morning just because we want to do the church thing, right? 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 Thank you. I got nervous there all of a sudden. We're here because God speaks when two or more are gathered in his name. He speaks to us personally, but he has something to say to all of us together this morning. He's going to say it through his word. God has designed your sea of impossibility. You have them. If you're not at one right now, I got news for you. There's one coming. God intentionally walks us up against some situations where we cannot see the answer. That's exactly what had happened. They found themselves up against the Red Sea not because they had sinned, failed, or disobeyed. It was exactly what God had told them to do, and there they were. No place to run. No place to go except forward into what seemed an impossibility. And God had a purpose all along, but they were going to have to trust him in it. The sea was going to be what took out Pharaoh and his army, but they had to go through it first. If they didn't go through it, Pharaoh wouldn't pursue them, and they wouldn't have drowned in the midst of it. God will bring impossible situations into your life. Things that you cannot find the answer to, cannot know what's going to happen next, have no clue where the answer comes from. And the temptation is to panic in that moment. The temptation is to think God has left you in that moment. The temptation is to say, we might as well just go back to where we were before because this is not going to work. And God says, trust me. Because I'm going to use this impossibility to actually crush the enemy. I'm going to use it for a purpose bigger than just you. And when you get to the other side of it, you will see it. They got to the other side and they saw the waters close back over their enemies. They saw it happen. They saw their enemies destroyed. Now, Let's continue on to see what happens next and make some more application here. It says, so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. It's important that you understand that your enemies have been destroyed. At the cross, every enemy that has pursued you and tries to pursue you today was defeated If you don't see them defeated, you'll keep thinking they're pursuing you and have the power to get you, and you'll keep running from them. You'll keep shutting down. You'll get into the middle of your sea of impossibility, and you'll just sit down and have a pity party. Instead of getting up and walking forward with confidence, you don't want to get stuck in the midst of the sea. Don't stop in the midst of it. Keep on going through, because on the other side is where you're going to see the victory. Amen? Amen? Next big point for us is this. Your obedience to God in the sea is what caused the enemy to be crushed. Did I say that already? I did say that already. 
is what caused it to be crushed. Let me, let me dwell on this just a little bit. You see, if you get up into your impossibility, yet in the midst of it, you don't fall apart, but you choose to trust. You don't panic, but you choose to have peace. You don't run, but you choose to be faithful. You don't complain, but you choose to worship God through it. You see, when that happens, you are crushing the enemy. But if you get up into the sea of your impossibility, and all you're doing is complaining, whining, pitching a fit, blaming other people, bitter, angry, you're the one who's going to end up drowned in your impossibility. But when you say, God, I trust you. I can't see where this is going. I know what you've said to me, though, so I'm going to keep walking forward. You're going to get to the other side, and you're going to have a heart that worships. You're going to have a heart at peace. You're going to have a heart that loves. You're going to have a heart that trusts. And that, that defeats the enemy every day, all day. It does. And here's the deal. Israel could have never experienced that if they didn't have the sea of impossibility first. It's so easy to say, God, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to be at this impossible spot. I don't want to be up against the dead end. I don't want to be in this place. This is painful. This hurts. This is confusing. I don't understand it. And God says, trust me in this. I've got a plan and purpose. And walk with me, and he will lead you right on through. He'll take you right on out, and he'll show you your enemy defeated at the end. It's so easy to give up in the middle of it, though. And God says, you got to keep walking. you got to keep stepping. you got to walk all the way through this. You can't stop now. You keep on obeying. Keep on stepping. Keep on moving. Keep on doing exactly what God says. When you can't see the way, keep on stepping in trust. It's building your faith. It's building your confidence. It's building some suspense for something big that God's going to do on the other side. And I think, oh, my goodness, what what if in today's generation, a new generation of Christians caught this truth. They believed it. I mean, here we are reading it today about the children of Israel. Imagine if a generation today, imagine if a church, imagine if us, we said, okay, God, we've all got seas of impossibility in our life right now. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to blame. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm not going to be angry about it. I'm not going to become bitter about it. I'm going to keep walking with you all the way through it. And this generation or this church decided to do what seemed impossible, and they walked all the way through. And they saw the enemy crushed beneath their feet. And they didn't walk in fear anymore, but they walked in greater trust than they'd ever had before in their life. Imagine that generations to come would be reading about that church, that group, that family, that mother, that dad, that husband, that teenager who decided to trust in spite of everything that they saw. They were truly driven.
The passage goes on and it says, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Everybody saw it. No one missed it. No one said, oh, I wasn't looking. What happened? You saw the Red Sea closing up. You saw the devastation. You saw the bodies washing up on the shore, and you realized, we're free. We are done with them. We can move on to what God's called us to. We can trust. We can believe. They saw the great work that God had done, and they feared God more than they ever had before. They believed the Lord more than they ever had before. And what's interesting to me, and his servant Moses. They believed the Lord, and they believed his servant Moses. You see, up to this point, they'd all kind of thought, I don't know about this Moses guy. <laughs> Forty years back inside the desert, he shows up one day, let my people go, and we're supposed to trust him and all this stuff. He shows up at a burning bush with God. I, you know, I don't know. But all of a sudden on this day, they believed. It became real. In this story, there's a lot of different types and pictures you can get from it. But one of the things that Moses represents in this story is the church. There's a generation waiting today to see if the church will step up and lead. If the church will be the one who says, here's what God says, let's walk in it. Let's go against the impossibility. Let's go with what he says to us. And we might be the ones that at first everybody says, you can't listen to those folks. They're crazy. We might be the ones that people have cast off. We might be the ones that no one wants to listen to. But I'm telling you, when a church and the church finally decides we're going to trust God and believe him for what he says, there will all of a sudden be a day that the nations will turn and say, we believe the Lord and his servant, the church. It's true. Our last big point today, your obedience is what leads to a cascade of change in others. I'm about to wrap this up, but I want you to stay with me here and listen to this. In the New Testament, it talks about the weapons of our warfare, right? 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You know that part of the verse. You know, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's normally where that passage stops. That's normally where people stop and say, okay, now let's, I'm going to preach about this. There's one more verse. Listen to it. It's very important. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul says, we have weapons that are ours, that are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And Paul says, but there's a work that is yet to be done. And he says, I'm ready, Spirit of God is ready to punish all disobedience, all disobedience. And there's a lot that needs to be dealt with today. Amen? Amen. Hello. Right? We're all in the same, living in the same country, right? He says, ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. When you have done 
all that God has asked you to do. When you have fully obeyed, right? Parents, if you ask your child to clean their room, you know what that means in your head, right? That means no clothes left on the floor, bed made, no stuff laying out, trash emptied. Hello, parents, right? That's what it means. We don't have to say all that stuff. We say, clean your room, and that's what we mean. And if your child says, I think I'll pick up this one dirty sock, boom, clean. Have they obeyed fully? No, said every parent. Right? Kids, obedience means doing everything that your parents ask you to do all the way to the end that you finished it. Now, here's something for all of us. If God has called you to something, you have to do more than just take one step, pick up the dirty sock and say, done. You've got to be willing to walk all the way through your sea of impossibility, no matter what it is, how long the path, how long it takes, how dark the night, how frightening the situation is, you keep on obeying all the way through. Because what seems to be true from the verse I just read and from what I read in Scripture, we can want all day long for our nation to change, but if the church is not willing to fulfill its own obedience, there isn't going to be any change. God's not going to pour out even discipline upon the disobedience until the obedience of the one who's been asked has done everything they've been asked to do. Are you with me? That means that all it takes in a family is the one who's been told what to do to obey everything that God asked them to do. And it starts a, a cascade of change. It starts a, a waterfall of awakening, revival. But it takes that one doing exactly what they've been asked to do and not less. Full obedience. Not partial. Not one thing. All the way through, obedience. And when the one is willing, then watch out. A cascade is about to happen. A waterfall is about to happen. You see, it started for this story when Moses was on the backside of the desert and God calls him to a burning bush and God meets him there, changes his life, and sends him back. It started there with one step of obedience. Moses couldn't see the end of the story, but he could see the one step he was supposed to take back toward Egypt, and he went. And you're in your situation right now wondering, okay, God, there's so much that I want to see happen in my family. There's so much I want to see happen in my community. There's so much I want to see happen in my church. There's so much I want to see happen in my nation. And it comes back to personal fulfillment of responsibility and obedience. Will you do what God has asked you to do? Not the person next to you, not the person two aisles up, not the person who's across the room, but the person who's sitting in the chair that you're in. You. It starts there. So we wrap up today with the question, would you be willing to be 
that person. I'm not going to blame anybody else anymore. I'm not going to shirk off my responsibility. I'm not going to fear. I'm going to obey what you've called me to, God. I'm going to trust you in it fully and completely. You met me on the backside of the desert and you called me. You've, you've brought me forth and you've called me to go and set the captives free. And I'm not anymore, anymore am I going to live for myself. I'm not going to live for just my own comfort. I'm not going to live for just what makes me feel good. I'm going to live to follow your word. I'm going to live to glorify your name. And I'm going to pursue you with all my heart. That's what it means to live a life that's truly driven. This is what happened for Moses. God changed him. And he made him a man who is surrendered to God's heart. I want to wrap up today by doing something we've done in other series. Because I know in the room there are a lot of great things that God is doing. I get to hear those stories from time to time from people. And there's power in speaking those stories. There's power in saying, here's what God's doing for me. So I want to give you a sentence here on screen. Check this out. I am driven to fill in the blank because in Christ I have been fill in the blank. I want you to pray. Just begin praying now and thinking. What would you use to fill in the blanks here? What would you say, I now have a drive within me to what? Pray for your family, love your husband, love your wife, sacrifice for your kids, lead a small group. I don't know whatever it is for you, but you're driven to it. There's a new drive within you. Throughout this whole series, God's spoken to you. God showed you some things about yourself and and about himself, and now all of a sudden you've got a, a drive awakened in you. There's something you didn't have in you before. The engine's turning all of a sudden in a way it hadn't before, and you're driven, and it's It's not because of something you came up with. It's because of something God's done in you. So you'd say, I'm driven to what? Because in Christ you have been what? You might say, I'm driven to forgive some people who've hurt me. Because in Christ I've been forgiven. You might say, I have a new drive within me to see my community changed. Because in Christ... I've been changed. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm going to set a mic up right here. Stefan's going to set a mic up for us right here. And I'm going to just stand right over here. I'm going to leave the mic open. If God has done something in your life, this would be a powerful time to share it. I'm not asking you to tell a long story. All I'm asking you for you to do is fill in the blanks. You don't have to give any other additional commentary. In fact, for the sake of everybody else, it'd be better not to at this point. You don't have to add to the story, add to the sentence. I am driven to what? Because in Christ, I have been what? Let me pray, and then you come. Father, I thank you that you are changing us. I thank you that you have made us new, and you are in the process of renewing our minds that we might understand fully what we have received in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that you have called us to something as individual believers, but you've called us to something as a church as well. And you're awakening new drive within us. You've put us together for a purpose. 
And God, today, we pray that you'll be glorified by what you've started in us, by what we share. We'll trust you. We'll follow you. And pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Who'd like to come? Who'd like to be first and say, I'm driven to, because in Christ I have been, what? I'm just going to wait right here. God awakening in you. What's that new thing? I am driven to love my husband because in Christ I have been loved. Amen. I've been driven to lead because in Christ I've been set free. to pray for others because in Christ I have been shown how that affects me by helping those others and praying for them. I've been driven to be kind because in Christ I've been forgiven. Driven to make a difference because in Christ I have been changed. Yeah. Amen. I'm driven to reclaim the spiritual leadership in my family because I've been commanded. Christ, I am called and equipped. said in our hearts has a way of solidifying it 
making it concrete. steal a sports car and the owner chasing me and I shot him. God changed me from a potential murderer to a Sunday school teacher. Amen. True story. 